Well, hey friends, as you know, it's football season and this episode completely delivers. If you're a football fan, you're gonna love it. If you're just a guy that wants to talk about guy stuff, you're really gonna love this. And ladies, if you wanna understand your men a little bit better, you are really going to love this episode and make sure that you share it out with the men in your life. Hey there, you're listening to the Living a Limitless Life podcast. I'm Sharon Hughes, and on this show, we talk about mastering your mindset, growing your faith, and becoming the leader you want to be with tips, strategies, and interviews to help you create a life you love. I'm really glad you're here. So come on, let's go. Joining me on the show today is Kian Lagi. He's a former linebacker of the Kansas City Chiefs, and he's moved into the entrepreneurial and wellness space, and he has a lot to share with us about masculinity, taking off the mask, and well-being. Welcome to the show, Kian. Thank you. It's quite the introduction. Thank you so much, Sharon. I appreciate it. It makes me blush a little bit, but uh, no, I uh, appreciate it, and I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. I, I saw some things that you had put on Instagram and immediately I said, this is somebody that needs to come on the show and talk about the bigger issues that guys are facing. And as you know, there is a trickle down because the things that guys face, they bring it home to their families and into their relationships. So we'll get into that in a minute because you have such insight. But first, let's talk about being a linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs. Did, yeah, did you love that? <laughs> um, yes, I will. To tell you the truth, I never actually got to play a game because of my circumstance that happened. Um, I got to practice all the way through, but never got to play a game. Uh, but my experience was phenomenal, um, but actually wasn't everything that I thought it would be. Oh, so do tell. It. What happened? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, my whole life. So ever since I was in third grade, I told my mom, I told my uh, teacher in third grade that I was going to play in the NFL. And being a white kid from South Dakota doesn't happen very often, right? So everything that I did, I knew that I needed to do as far as going above and beyond to get myself to that place. And it was wild because I spent, you know, in high school, I, I every day in high school, woke up in the summer at 530 to go work out. So everything I did was catered towards making this dream happen. And when I, uh, got there. And after all the years of hard, hard work, uh, I found that uh, it wasn't actually making it to the NFL that was extremely gratifying. Like it felt amazing and really cool, but I still remember sitting in the cafeteria in Kansas City and, and thinking to myself like, okay, this didn't feel like I thought it would. And uh, so I think that's the beautiful part about what I do now is that so many people are chasing uh, this dream. I think that that dream is going to give them everything they've ever wanted and desired. Well, I'm sitting here, I've accomplished that dream and that goal, and I'm sitting here saying that that's not everything that everybody thinks it is. It's actually the journey and the process. But people hear that all the time, but me being able at the age of 22 to say I accomplished my lifelong dream, I think it gives me a lot of insight and wisdom into uh, really loving and enjoying the process of everything and how it never really ends. Um, and not sacrificing relationships, not sacrificing your life to get that big, big thing Mm. along the way. You know, that's so, so interesting. That I'm actually a little bit surprised that it wasn't what you thought it was going to be, but that's so relatable because I think everybody has a dream and then they get there and they're like, oh, 
But you said something on your social media the other day about um, letting your light shine. And I'm going to read that. And then I just want you to unpack it a little bit deeper for the listeners. I grew up with the idea that letting my light shine when it could potentially make others feel bad was wrong. That if someone may be offended or feel inadequate, I should suppress the joy I was experiencing for accomplishments I had. This way of living ultimately led me to resentment towards others, constantly comparing myself to others, a decrease in my own confidence, and a hindrance in the growth for the people around me. Mm. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah, who wrote that? The 6'3 guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's deep. Where did that come from? Yeah, absolutely. I, well, first off, it came from, uh, I'm involved in uh, like a men's group, um, like book club essentially out here. And uh, we've been really talking about that topic. So that came up. Um, but being a guy from South Dakota in the Midwest, uh, you're grown up and taught that you always need to just put your head down and work hard and not celebrate any of your victories. Uh, and just always just put your head down and work for everything that you get. Um, and so really there's like, there's so many limiting beliefs that come from being from a place like that. Now there's so many beautiful things that come from as well, right? The sense of community and love with family um, and being able to appreciate life and slowness of life. Um, But I I grew up in a place where that's where you're taught. It's Mm. like, don't deviate from the norm, right? If you do, you're, you're outcast and that kind of thing. Um, And so that when that gets engraved in somebody very young, uh, it leads to the behavior of suppressing your own accomplishments and suppressing mm-hmm. your own um, victories in a sense. Right. And so I, that hasn't really limited me as far as what I've done now, but as far as moving forward, um, those beliefs, I'm still continuing to get over. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is like with so many people, everybody thinks everybody that's accomplished amazing, unbelievable things Everybody thinks that they're so different and they have some kind of skill or talent that's completely different than what that person that sees them as is incapable of doing. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's simply a belief system in the self and those people that are willing to put themselves out there and say, I am worth this. I can do this. They're the ones that do it. And they're persistent. And they don't give up. Um, but so many people that have this idea that um, I have to suppress my own victories and suppress things that I'm really good at never get to that point that they really truly want to because and never give themselves a chance because of fears of potential rejection uh, by other people. Mm-hmm. So did that play into when you arrived in the NFL of going, oh, it's not what I thought it was going to be? Or is that a totally separate issue? It very well could have. And I, I believe there's some element of football that I attached to because it gave me love at a very young age. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, I mean, it's like I said, since I was in third grade, I realized like, okay, I'm pretty good at this and I get a lot of love for it. And in America, I mean, it's the ultimate gladiator sport, right? You're you're praised so much for being a good football player. And because I received so much love from that, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I want to do. Right. And so everything I did was conducive to me getting to that place of making it to the highest level possible with football. Right. And so, because so much of I don't want to say my confidence was built in that, um, but so much of the love I got from other people, it's, um, it's addicting in a sense, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Whatever we get love for, we want to do more of and continue to do. And 
if you're not careful in the process of that, you can easily rely on that thing uh, to be your source of joy and happiness. Mm-hmm. And I think I did a relatively good job of being able to keep me as Kian and keep Kian and football as being two separate things. But so many people, so many people out there uh, don't. And they attach that thing that got them love. And for me, that was football. For many other people, it's, it's different things. But um, and ultimately keeping that mindset that like, while I have this, I'm going to receive love. When that one thing's gone that you're receiving all that love for, it could be a massive shock. Mm-hmm. Right. And so for me, I was in South Dakota. Um, I'm like, I need to get out of here. I need to move somewhere else. I moved to Miami and I did a lot of self-discovery there. I did a lot of realizing like what it is that Kian wants and what I really want out of life. Mm-hmm. Um, because for so long, all I knew was football. And that's all I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Without even thinking about what is Kian want. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a, I guess that sums it up. That's a huge, huge point. And I really relate to that and know so many people that do is that you're going to do whatever that thing is that gets you that love and validation, even if it's unhealthy. Like I, I don't want to say in any way that the work you did in football validated you in a way that was unhealthy. However, I can see in some ways how it would be if that becomes somebody's complete identity and they lose themselves within it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, I don't think I ever lost my identity and who I am. Like I said, I feel like I did a relatively good job separating myself mm-hmm. from Kian outside of football and, and, mm-hmm. and Kian. Um, but I think the biggest thing was, is like sharing, like I got to a point where they told me if I would have play, kept playing, I could have been paralyzed. And I actually believe this or not. I tore my ACL when I was in New Orleans prior to getting to Kansas City. And the plan was was for because to get my knee to a good enough place to where it would pass the physical or pass the test they put it through. But ultimately we knew, my agent and I knew that my knee was gonna get blown out. So I fully mm. knew my knee was gonna get blown out going into, into the NFL. And then here's the crazy part. I actually knew too my neck, because mm-hmm. my neck ended up being the thing that limited me from continuing to play uh, continue to play. Mm-hmm was actually not in the place that I was trying to convince myself that it was in. Every mm-hmm. time I went like this, I could feel tinging, there's stinging going down my neck. Okay. And I wanted to believe that it wasn't that bad. Ah. But because I wanted to accomplish this dream so much, that I was willing mm-hmm. to sacrifice my health of my physical body without being able to see to the future saying, okay, well, what is this? Con- what are the consequences of me doing this in the future? So I don't think my identity got wrapped up in it, but like I was willing to sacrifice my entire health now for um, a, to accomplish a dream, I guess you can say. No, that is so important. I think a lot of people don't stop and think about the consequences. Like you're seeing the red flags and it would have been so easy to just medicate and keep going because of chasing that dream. And, and like you said, you got so much love for playing football. Like you are really good at what you do. And it, and it does, in a sense, become your identity. You're like probably like the, the small town hero, like goes off, you know, to the NFL. And I'm sure a lot of younger guys were looking up to you and what you were doing. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of pressure. Yeah, for sure. And, and, but the interesting part for me was like, I always loved pressure. I yeah. love and thrive off it. And actually, my worst games were in games that like the stakes weren't very high. And we were maybe playing a really bad team. 
Um, so I personally love the pressure and the pressure is what really like motivates me in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but like what you said with my, if I just could have medicated myself and continue to push past that. And I think because I did such a good job, despite, you know, it being my dream of separating key in, in football and key in out of football, uh, I was able to recognize when that point was when my relationship with football came to a, to a halt. I say my, my relationship with football, our happiness was maximized in that mm-hmm. relationship when we couldn't move forward. But if I would have kept myself wrapped in that identity of football, I don't mm-hmm. know if I'd be capable of that point of saying, okay, this is it. And I would have kept, kept trying to hold on to it. Right. Right. Wow. That's really something. Yeah. And I see so many people that, that they just, they don't listen to their inner voice like you did. What, what advice would you give to someone if they were, they're listening to this and they're hearing those whispers and they're seeing a couple red flags, what do they need? What kind of conversation do they need to have with themselves to get real and weigh out those consequences? Yeah, I think that's a phenomenal question. And I think what that comes down to is the ability to see past you getting your self-worth and validation from that thing that you're doing Mm. and really asking yourself, did I do everything that I can to make this relationship with this thing as good as possible? And is this really maximized? And what are the consequences if I continue doing this thing? Um, So I think there has to be a lot of self-reflection in regard to that Mm -hmm. of saying like, okay, is this going to actually enhance, continue to, uh, allow me to get better as a person in all ways. Um, so I think there's needs to be a lot of uh, maybe through meditation uh, mm-hmm. of a- really asking yourself, having that real conversation saying, is this truly going to be beneficial for me? Or is it because I'm trying, I'm staying attached to something that's giving me love and validation. Yeah. that's. And I think a lot of the inability to break away from it is fears of not being able to achieve and other able to continue to do well if it's outside of that one thing. Yeah. So I think it's recognizing that if you have done something your whole life, you've learned so much from it. For me, like with football, like discipline and the ability to work as a team and the ability to commit to something that I really want, like being able to take those skills and talents I learned in that thing and realize that I can do whatever the hell I want to do, mm-hmm. right? Because I was able to accomplish this. So mm-hmm. not looking at it as, okay, football's done. I'm screwed. Looking at it as I learned so much, I gained so much myself, and now I can take all those things and apply it somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So just remaining really introspective and looking at those takeaways. What did I learn from this? That's so valuable. So there's something else that you said on your Instagram, and this was actually what made me reach out to you because I do believe that there's so much pressure on men. Um, What I observe is that men are told, be a man, suck it up. Don't cry. Don't show your emotions. And you go home to your family or your significant other and they're like, talk to me. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? And there's just so much pressure and guys are like, I don't know what to do. But this is what you put on your Instagram that just totally blew my mind. Many men have lost touch with their inner warrior and desire to express himself as he really feels because of a fear of going back to that ego driven place. Here's the reality for all spiritual or religious males out there. If you want to express yourself as your creator intended, you have to learn to embrace embrace your strong, decisive, confident, brave, self-reliant, 
motivated nature and allow your heart to drive you. That's a drop the mic moment right there, Kian. That's beautiful. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. <laughs> When's your book coming realize, out? <laughs> like, like, I don't even realize like when, when I'm in the moment writing something, I don't even like later when I yeah. hear it, I'm like, I'll be talking to clients and I'll say something and they'll say it back to me. I'm like, whoa, who told you that? I'm like, I'm like yeah. me? Like, okay. Right. Um, I think you need to do a book for sure. So many nuggets of wisdom. But talk uh, about that. Talk about men embracing that deeper part of their warrior, but also following their heart. Certainly. And I think where that, where that comment came from, the post came from, is there's obviously this spiritual movement that's happening in the world and in America in particular. And men are realizing that being like completely ego driven and bullying women and just like bulldozing your way through life, not really one to like realizing their impacts on other people is not right. Mm-hmm. And I think we've gone to the whole other end of the spectrum as far as males go. So for a long time, it was alpha, this alpha male, uh, like I just explained, but now we've mm-hmm. gone to the other end and we have the super spiritual guy that doesn't, not doing anything with his life and he's just very chill and everything's okay and everything's just about love and I'm not really that decisive if I could do this or I could do that. And it's it, it just the complete opposite, mm-hmm. right? And that's not right either. And so that's, I think the hardest part is I feel like most men are naturally one way or another. Most men are in this part where it's, I'm the ultimate alpha and nobody can do anything to change that. Or I'm this like more softer, gentle, very loving guy. Um, But being able to meet in the middle uh, of those two things and saying, I can be a super strong, decisive, um, powerful, um, supportive, loving um, caring person all at the same time, but you can't do that unless you do the work that it takes to be able to do that. Mm. This is some deep stuff. And I bet you some guys are listening to this and going, Ooh, kind of like, you know, it's confrontational. They're like, okay, I think I've done that. And I might've done that. How do they start? How do they start that, that journey? Like maybe if you share how you did, like what was that aha moment for you? Because like you said, football is pretty gladiator. It doesn't get more masculine than football. It's like, so the guys that are, have been doing that, how do they transition and start being more heart-centered, but not becoming that spiritual guy that you just described that's really indecisive? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's first the recognition, because I think there's this huge negative stigma surrounding alpha males, mm-hmm. uh, being able to express emotion. But here's the caveat to that is like when most guys of these alpha males, uh, say that I don't express emotion or that shows weakness when in reality, you expressing anger and expressing jealousy and not being, um, a good person to other people is actually a form of expressing emotion, mm-hmm. right? But they just don't realize that and they don't associate emotion with that, but they actually are. Mm-hmm. So I think it's realizing that like you're already expressing emotions but it's not really benefiting you or anybody else. Right. So that kind of erases that idea that I'm not an emotional person because it's bad, but in reality, you're actually extra emotional and you don't have control over your emotions. Oh, that's the that's problem. That's so good. That is so good. Right? So realizing yeah. that you are a very emotional person, one way or another, you're just expressing it for the better or you're expressing it for the worse. And I think that awareness alone raises a lot of like, okay, maybe the way I have been thinking is wrong. Right. And so I think that initial awareness of um, actually you are a very emotional person, but it's just not benefiting you or the people around you um, is very, 
very like a good first place to start. Yeah. It's really hard for guys to reel in their emotions and 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 look at it that way. I mean, I was married to somebody that was in law enforcement and you know, that's definitely a career path where you're not encouraged to really show your emotion. You have to be, you know, very in control and authoritative at all times and and that's taxing too. That'll just wear a man out. Mhm. Oh, absolutely. Because you get to a point where you go so long without being able to express emotions that the, the things around you, the things that you value most or, or should value most um, begin to fade. And, mm-hmm. and that's the relationships you have with other people. And that's where a lot of these very masculine guys that I work with, uh, one of the first things I have them do is they create a heaven on earth relationships. Mm-hmm. So they start with their significant other or potential significant other. And they go to their friends and their family and themselves. And they, and in that process, they explain how their ideal or dream relationship would be like with all these different areas. Oh, that's and, really neat. And I think doing that right away gets them to realize like, they're saying like, okay, what I'm doing, what I've been doing is not getting me to these places. And, and I'm actually in the opposite place than I want to be. And so that really raises that awareness too of, okay, I'm not having the relationship that I want romantically with my friends, my family, or myself. So maybe the way I have been thinking isn't right. Right. So on that note, you've transferred your passions from football into like this whole wellness, health, and mindset coaching space. What do you see in your clients that come to you that are struggling with that how to be in touch with their relationships. Like how is that showing up in their health, maybe in their, um, in their body? Does it come out in unhealthy ways? In the inability to be mm-hmm. in touch with their own emotions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and you can feel it. And I think me being a, an intuitive, I can really feel um, a wall up with guys that most people aren't really aware of a lot of, um, the feelings they have, they might just feel kind of weird to, with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, like when a guy's going gone so long without being able to express his emotions, mm-hmm. people can feel that. And mm-hmm. there'll be naturally this like lack of like comfort with some of those people. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'll feel that in them. But also like a guy I'm working with, for example, um, a lot of his health started to go, right? Because mm-hmm. he was so afraid of not being extremely successful um, past the point, you know, of being able to have a lot of success in his business and make a lot of money. Um, that he started to sacrifice working out. He started to sacrifice um, eating healthier foods. And so physically, he started to get wore out. He started to get really bad migraines. And he started to get arthritis. And being 30 years old, that, that happened. And so physically, it begins to happen. But here's the wild part, Sharon, is that eventually when you go so long without being able to express your emotions, it will manifest physically in some way. Mm-hmm. Whether that be cancer, whether that be extreme anxiety and depression, whether that be heart disease, uh, that is literally what um, physical malfunctions are, is stored pent up emotions or the inability to be able to express emotions. And, and the wild part is too, Sharon, is that many of these guys that I work with, uh, I'll talk to them and I'll ask, does, does cancer run in your family? Right? Is there run in your family? Is there heart disease in your family? Is there a lot of uh, anxiousness in your family? And they're like, yeah, my dad had cancer and my dad's dad had cancer. And like, okay, well, that makes perfect sense. You're the exact same way as your dad. Mm -hmm. And it stems from this place of the inability to be able to express emotion. Mm -hmm. It's wild, but that's what it comes Mm -hmm. down to. Mm -hmm. And so right now they might not be experiencing those physical malfunctions, but in the future, if that is not fixed, 
there will be severe physical repercussions on top of uh, the damaged relationships that are going to come from it. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, that wow, was a lot, but. No, but it's but it's so right on because in the space I work in, I see that suppressed emotions, you know, they do manifest. It's anxiety, it's eating disorders, it's numbing out, whether it's numbing from alcohol, porn, drugs. And then the next step is some of the kids are then cutting because they want to feel something because they've numbed out so much. Mm. Yeah, it's just a really, it's a scary pattern that we're seeing. And I'm so glad that you're using you know, your platform to really speak to a lot of these issues to men because the statistics show women are more likely to step up and get help than men are. And men need to know like, it's okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. That's oh, absolutely. For sure. And this is the crazy part too, Sharon, is like a lot of these guys, like their girls have wanted them to go to therapy, wanted to do something. And they're like, no, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a lot of these guys that are like super masculine dudes, um, to get to a point to even start talking about their emotions, there has to be a massive level of respect there. And like, Sharon, I've been on conversations with potential clients where they're telling me to F off and they're saying like, I've, I've, I've heard all these tactics before. Like you can't do anything to me to get me to waver from how I feel right now. Go F yourself, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then after I stand a line and keep talking and like, I'm yelling at them going back and forth, it stops. And he's like, I actually respect you a lot. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, Kian, everything that you said, I, I needed this. Oh. And he's like, the fact that you stayed, stayed here on the line and talked to me and like kept going through this, nobody's ever done that to me before. Wow. So for a lot of these guys, that has to happen. There, there has to be that respect built for them to be able to be comfortable enough to express their emotions. And now he's like one of my like most favorite clients and a really good friend now. Like he's so into it now. Like when we talk about emotional stuff, like he's so stoked and he's a super like alpha male, like kicking ass in business, like amazing <laughs> relationship with his wife now, like really good friends. Um, and he's sitting there talking about his emotions. So it's super, super cool uh, to see that. But there has to be that level of respect that I feel like a yeah. lot of them have to feel uh, first to feel comfortable enough to be able to open up. And I think that's where my background with football being the gladiator sport, like gives me that, that ability to be able to have that credibility. A lot of these guys mm-hmm. say, okay, here's this guy who did the super masculine thing. And I was talking about his emotions. Right. He seems pretty joyous. He seems pretty joyous or something here. So the way I see it, it's like, it's my obligation, right. To be able to do this, to bring more love into the world. Like it's something I feel like I have to do. I have to use my past and my platform to be able to get in touch with these dudes that are super influential um, but just haven't been able to uh, get, in t- get in touch with their emotional side to maximize their potential. Oh, I just more love, love that. Oh, I, I love that. I'm a big believer that every person has a calling on their life and that we go down this path that equips us for the bigger part of our calling. And I completely see that in you. Like you are absolutely doing exactly what God designed you to do. Oh. Well, thank you, Sharon. I, I appreciate that a lot. So thank you very much. Oh, I'm excited to see what you do next. Like you're just such a pleasure. Okay. So let's talk about the wellness because before we hit record, I said, I read that you're six, you were six, three and two twenty nine, saying that you weren't healthy and you go, no, I was two forty five. So most people would think, oh, wow. Like, you know, you were probably two forty five and solid muscle because you were playing ball and you trained so hard. So why do you say that you weren't healthy at that 
weight or was that mindset? What was that? I think the biggest thing was the physical repercussions of that. Uh, I was 245. I was probably like 13% body fat. So I had a lot of muscle. Um, but the wild part about it was like, I was always tired when I wasn't working out. Mm. I was always very bloated. I mean, I was eating 700 grams of carbs a day. I mean, to, to get people to understand that, like, I was at a point where I would put rice in the blender and put salmon in the blender with it, and I would blend it up <laughs> and drink it. It tasted terrible, but I would do it. Um, and so, like, I had, I had gas all the time on top of that, right? Really excessive gas. Um, I would have heartburn all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I was tired all the time. I, w- I was very anxious a lot of the time. And so there's a lot of these warning signs um, saying me, telling me like, hey, like there's something going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is like most people live in this place of thinking that their external view to people is what really matters. And I was in that place, right? Like I was just trying to be as good a football player as possible and look good externally. Mm-hmm. I thought if I look good externally, that mean I was healthy on the inside. Oh. But I learned that that's not necessarily true. That is Okay, let's just stop and say that's brilliant, brilliantly said. And I'm just going to chime in on this a little bit because years ago, I was a swimwear model. And of course, swimwear models have to be really thin. Really thin isn't always really healthy. So like that's the opposite because we're trying to be, you know, skinny. You guys are trying to be big and buff and neither one is healthy. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Yeah, when you're eating that amount of food, it's... It's unreal. And that's honestly what, what led me to a place of creating the first program that I created and how I, like one of the steps to get me where I'm now was I created a program for people with different digestive disorders and autoimmune conditions. Mm. Um, because I, I, after researching like crazy what real health actually is outside of the physical appearance, I'm like, there's so many people struggling with so many of these different digestive disorders, whether mm-hmm. it be like heartburn, bloating like crazy, mm-hmm. uh, gas, um, colitis, like different, um, colon based disorders, mm-hmm. IBS Crohn's, um, and even like rheumatoid, like arthritis. So many people have arthritis, like psoriasis of the skin. Like so mm-hmm. many people have that. So I'm like, okay, well, what is real health? And that's why I dove headfirst into it and created a program for people with, um, autoimmune conditions like those and digestive disorders. Oh, wow. That is fascinating. Okay. Tell us about that program and, and then, of course, as we wrap up, we'll get to how somebody can work with you. But, but explain what are those things that people ought to be looking at? Like you said, like bloating and gas and how it's showing up in their skin. Because a lot of people probably think that it's not diet related. Oh, because they're told it's not. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. They're told it's not by their doctor and they're prescribed something to fix it that doesn't right. fix it. Exactly. And... Uh, I think first, it's the piece of awareness. Like I've said in so many things that I've talked about when you ask me questions, like it's being aware that you actually are in control of your health and you are not a victim to your health. And uh, the fact that your dad had something, your mom had something, um, does, it does not mean that you're going to get it. And if you continue down the same habits that your parents had, which most people do, whether that be through eating or mindset, just how you are, you very well could get those things. But coming to terms with the fact that you have more power over your own health mentally and physically than you could possibly imagine, I think is the biggest piece of understanding because when you understand that you are in control of your health, uh, that shifts a state of mind and that, that then allows the solution to come into your life. But if you have this belief that, you know, you're a victim to your health and there's nothing you can do uh, because you're such a victim and your genes are the problem, 
uh, you're never going to be able to get healthy. Mm-hmm. So, so that, first, yeah, that's actually a mindset issue right there. If you think you're just a victim, you have no control. Absolutely. But, but then again, Sharon, that's what we're, we're taught. That's what mainstream yeah. society teaches. Right. And if anybody out there wants to learn more about this and the science behind that, mm-hmm. um, the book that actually got me into all of this is called The Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton. And it's about oh. a topic called epigenetics, epi meaning above. So what the book is basically about is um, how our environment and our perception of our environment ultimately determine how our genes are expressed. So we may have cancer somewhere in our genome, but ultimately how we live and how we eat and how we think determine if that version of the gene will be expressed or not. So just Mm. because you have something in your genetic code does not mean it's going to be expressed. And that's through this science, it's explained through science. So it's such a beautiful concept. And uh, once again, it's Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton. Um, It was super powerful for me and everybody I recommend to read it. Uh, But it will empower you not through motivation, which it doesn't last, but through actual facts and science, which is so beautiful. That is so, so interesting. I've never heard of that before. So thank you for sharing that. Do you recommend when you work with somebody that they keep a journal and start monitoring how they feel like emotionally, like monitor their their whole mental wellness as well as their physical wellness? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and But the thing with me is like, everybody's different. So depending on where people are at, like if they're in that, like for most guys, the moment they start working with me, they're not going to be as receptive to saying, okay, I'm just going to journal every day about how I feel. Uh-huh. Right. It, it takes a little bit of time for them to get to a place of, of them realizing, okay, I, my life is massively improving through this emotion stuff. So then I'll bring it up to, Hey, you know, that time when you said you were super angry and you expressed it at your wife. Mm-hmm. Well, how about we make a journal for times when you're really anxious or you're really sad or really angry. And how about also we identify the times when you feel those more negative um, based emotions uh, so you can be aware of them before. So it's more so it's very much timing, but I would definitely recommend anybody out there um, for times when you are experiencing those emotions to be able to write them down and get everything out on a paper. If you got to light candles, if you got to put on some romantic music, whatever you got to do to get yourself in that deep emotional space, let yourself feel it and express it on a paper it's super powerful and you feel amazing afterward. <laughs> I love that. Do you like candles? I, think- I do sometimes. <laughs> I, oh, absolutely. I love it. Yeah. My girlfriend loves it too. Uh, but no, I, I don't have any right now because I just moved to a new place, but absolutely. Uh, but and Sharon too, I'm going to throw this one piece in there about that concept that I don't think a lot of people are aware of um, is that the element of journaling, like when you first start, it's very, very difficult because the mind resists change. Mm-hmm. So when you put the pen to paper, your mind's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this because it knows that if you express what you're feeling, it will change. And the mind, like I said, rebels against change. So if you go into journaling with the understanding that your initial five minutes of writing is going to be very painful and you're going to be fighting yourself writing um, and understanding that if you get past that first five to 10 minutes, your mind will start to get on board it makes it a lot easier because I feel like a lot of people, they'll start to journal and they'll stop because they, they don't want to, they're not motivated to, but recognize that simply the brain trying to protect itself by resisting change because it knows you'll change if you put the pen to paper and actually write. So being able to push past that first five, 10 minutes of journaling is essential, especially 
if you've never done it before. So recognizing that tendency of the mind, I think is really important. I think that you're going to write like a book and a journaling guide. And I just see all kinds of products coming out of you. <laughs> oh, I got to ask you this. Okay. So 6.3 and 2.45, 13% body fat, and you weren't a happy camper. So where people want to know, well, what do you weigh now? What's your body fat now? I know the people that are really into numbers are going to want to know that. And I, that should not be a defining factor, but just throw it out there just so that they know. Well, if this gives a hint to anybody out there listening, people ask me if um, I run cross country or if I am a wide receiver now. Um, I, I'm 200, I'm, I sit between like 195 and 200 pounds now, and I feel amazing. My energy is through the roof. Um, I don't get those really bad digestive disorders I used to have. Um, and ultimately, I came to a point where I realized that it's not normal to have all those things. Right, right. And that's what I feel like most people believe. So 6'3", like 195 right now, um, still got a you know, pretty muscular build, right? I, I like to keep that, maintain that. Um, but yeah. You look pretty lean and mean, I'm, I'm just saying, for the record. So your, your social media is going to be linked up below. People can see what you're posting and what you look like. But I mean, you, you look like the picture of health. Oh, well, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and that's really what I found is like, it's not natural for the body to hold this like massive amount of muscle, yeah. right? And the kind of work that it takes to be able to maintain that as far as the eating and the amount of exercise. Uh, I, I work out like three times a week now, um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I, I like to be active outside of that, you know? So mm -hmm. um, it's, it's more so enhancing my life, not my life anymore. Well, I think what you just said is so important for people to realize the work it took to maintain that much muscle mass. That's, that is crazy. Did you work seven days a week at that? Oh my gosh. I mean, like I, I, I didn't know what hunger was like, mm -hmm. really? I would wake up and, oh yeah, like it was such a foreign feeling to me. Like if I was ever hungry, which I very rarely ever was, I'd be like, what is that? What's going on? Mm -hmm. uh, because I was at the point where I would wake up at five o'clock in the morning I would eat and go back to bed for another two hours and eat again. Like I, I was just eating so much. Wow. And, um, disregarding any kind of like uh, satiety cues where saying, hey, Kian, we're full. Um, so that was a whole other thing, me having to learn what being full was again, right? Because, so there's all these things that came with it, not only the physical things, but also the mm -hmm. mental side of being able to understand what my body's telling me. Yeah. Well, it's interesting whenever I do an interview and, you know, obviously the audience can't see you, but you and I can see each other on video. You look healthy. Like it, it's different. It's one thing for people to talk about being healthy and saying, I feel healthy, but you look incredibly healthy. And that's, I think that's what people are really after is they don't want to just feel it, but they want to look it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say with that too, is that it does take work. Like it's not easy, especially living in today's society. Yeah. Like where where food is so readily available everywhere, mm -hmm. and the ability to like have resistance to just going and consistently working out is there because there's so many distractions. So I think with most people, right? They they look at me and they'll see me. And for what I do now, I'm more of in a maintenance phase. But like, mm -hmm. it does take work to be healthy, but it has to be a priority. Mm -hmm. You have to find a way to make it a priority. And um, I think that's what it is. It, it's it not easy right away. It's really not. But once you get yourself that point of dedication and commitment, you commit to the process, then it becomes much easier because you learn how to actually be healthy tangibly. 
Yeah. Because then it's like, okay, well, now I know all these things. Now I can just do it. But it does take work right away. For yeah. sure. There's so much controversy around food. What do you think about broccoli for real? Good, bad, causes too much gas. What do you think? <laughs> so here's us because I have done a lot of research in, in this field. So the cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, for example, uh-huh. um, or, or kale. Uh-huh. Kale is another big one. It's in the same family. Mm-hmm. Uh, tend to have something called a, a lectin, which is a, a plant protective mechanism that has against things that eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be very tough on some people's digestive tracts. So depending on how you react to those things, <clears throat> that's what I would say how you should dictate if you should have them or not. Mm-hmm. It's all, what it really all comes down to is your ability to listen to your body and what it's telling you. If your body's super gassy after having a lot of broccoli, um, maybe try blending it, uh, I would say, or move, move to some different vegetables that aren't causing a lot of uh, those excessive gas and um, bloating issues. Uh, but kale's a big one. Kale's like one of the mm-hmm. biggest ones I find with people. Um, so kale's probably one of the biggest, uh, but I was have people listen to your body. That's what it is. Like if it's whole foods, listen to your body, because even though it is a whole food, doesn't mean it won't cause some potential issues with you if not prepared properly, or if your body is simply not in a place to be able to handle it. Yeah. Listen. Listen, (laughs) I'm glad that you said that because I feel like we're in a kale craze right now. People are juicing it, you know, it's like they're sauteing it, they're just eating it raw. It's like it's everywhere. But if it doesn't work for your body, like stop because people are just pressured to like, well, everybody's eating kale and it's like the superfood. I've got to eat it. It's like, no, you really don't. (laughs) Right, exactly. And when I first started eating, like, when I first started the process of like getting that place of being, really actually internally healthy. When I started eating kale, it jacked me up. Like I would be all gassy all the time. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. So I got rid of it for a while. <laughs> and as my digestive tract got a place to be able to actually handle those foods, mm-hmm. it's gotten substantially better. Um, but for a lot of people at first, you're going to experience a lot of issues just because your digestive tract's not in a place to be able to uh, handle it. So maybe for a little while, be a little more therapeutic and listen to your body, even if it is whole foods. And maybe stay away from the foods that are causing some of those issues for the time being. And then maybe a couple of months later, after you're, you know, making the conscious effort to have things that feel good, maybe try to reintroduce it again. You know, so it just counts to the process of listening to what your body is telling you. So good. All right. For the listeners that want to work with you, where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram or Facebook. Um, I have a very different unique name, K-E-Y-E-N-L-A-G-E, Kean Lagi. So if you want to look me up on Instagram or Facebook, um, I respond to everybody. So don't hesitate uh, to reach out. I really try to make it a priority to do that. Uh, and if you, then again, too, like if you don't want to work with me, you just have a couple of questions you want to ask me based on something I've said, uh, maybe a little insight or something, like don't hesitate to do that either. So social media, Facebook, Instagram um, would probably be my best two sources to find me. Awesome. And also the undefineddiet.com if they want to like really dive in more and learn how to dial in their diet. Yeah, certainly. That that was the first program that I came out with to be able to yeah, create the mindset around eating that is more healthy. That's so good. Thank you so much for your time, Kian. You are just a wealth of knowledge. I can't wait to see what you do next. And there's an open mic for you anytime you want to come back. 
Oh, well, thank you so much, Sharon, for having me. I was stoked when you asked me to come on. So very thankful for you giving me the opportunity to come on and, and share this message, these messages. So thank you. Absolutely. You're so welcome. Was that an absolutely epic interview or what? You guys, it doesn't get much more masculine, raw, and real than coming from, like we said, gladiator football. I think that was just incredibly insightful, and I'm so grateful that Kian had the time to spend on this very valuable topic. It's truly going to shift the lives of many men and the women that they love, their families, for the better. Stop by Instagram and see Kian. He's at kian.loggy, and that's linked below for you in the show notes, as well as how you can connect with him to check out his eating and wellness plans. Also, my book, The Girl in the Garage, is on pre-order on Amazon right now. It will be delivering on January 2nd. And you can get more information on that at SharonHughes.net forward slash the girl in the garage. Thank you so much, friends, for being here. And until next time, as always, I wish you every good thing.